Thanks for joining us on After Dark with Robin Andrew on America Out Loud, which is available on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, or head on over to AmericaOutloud.com and click the Listen Live tab for 24-7 talk radio. While you're there, check out the articles and podcasts updated daily, and please share those on social media. Robin and I face the same social media censorship that many of you do. So we appreciate it when you share the podcast or any of the podcasts from AmericaOutloud.com on social media. We have a very interesting show on tap. We have on astrophysicist, TEDx speaker, and host of This Sustainable Life podcast, Josh Spotek. Josh is once again going to practice what he preaches and is launching a new initiative, a leadership challenge to people on how they can improve the environment, something that he is deeply passionate about and lives by. If you've heard our previous appearances with Josh, even though Josh doesn't always agree with our views, we have always enjoyed our conversations with Josh. Rob and I have both been on his show, and he's been on our show several times, always in an in-depth and interesting conversation. So he's going to join us today, but before we bring him in, how are you doing tonight, Rob? Andrew, I'm doing great. I noticed that you said he's going to join us today. I guess you're still uh, recovering from uh, last week's festivities <laughs> of St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Residual effects. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm glad that all of our uh, listeners could tune in tonight. And as you said, we have Josh on, who's been on the show before and talking about leadership and some of the things that he's doing. But one of the things that he was doing when we last spoke, he was talking about doing burpees. So make a list. We've got to ask him what count is he up to with the burpees. It was also telling us that he was going off the grid. Going off the grid, not using, I think, electricity, not using his refrigerator. If I'm wrong, he'll correct me when we bring him on. He also mentioned to us about garbage. I think it was he like doesn't throw away garbage like every year or three months or something like that. But we're going to delve into that because I find it rather interesting. I myself could not do it. He did give me a challenge or try to well, – I don't think it was a challenge, but to see if I could not throw away garbage within a, uh, a year, but to separate the garbages because I don't like the plastic with the bottles. I like to keep them independent. So we're going to talk about that, but mainly the leadership, his new program that he's rolling out, which I find rather interesting because we have a lot of people running out there, running around rather, trying to be leaders and want people to follow them. And definitely on social media, they call themselves social media influencers. And they get people to do things, to buy things. Some of them uh, cause people to go into depression because of their lifestyles. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting to see this this take place, especially in this time and era. Uh, when I was growing up, we didn't have social media. We didn't have Instagram so that people could broadcast their lifestyles. But now anyone could become, I guess, a pseudo leader in saying, you know, or influencer, as they call themselves, do this, do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Buy this brand. Don't buy that brand. And it's simply because the way they look or what they're saying, they're packaging this up and they're putting it out there. And people, a lot of these guys have like these huge followers of people that follow them and they could break a product if they don't like it. I read something the other day whereby you now have people who are who call themselves de-influencers whereby if they don't like a product, they'll say, don't get this, don't buy this. And like clockwork, people stop buying it. 
So I don't know if that's going to, you know, something that Josh will be able to talk about or not, but definitely the whole leadership program want him to give us insight as to what he's planning on doing and where you can join or watch his leadership program. I think he is an instructor, a professor at NYU, but as you mentioned, Andrew, he's done TED Tech Talks, and there's a possibility that he probably has this online. So we're going to find out that and more from our guest tonight, Josh. Josh, how are you? Very good. And you've got me very interested. You've covered so many different things. I don't know where to begin. <laughs> well, well, we'll start from the top. But uh, how how has how has your life been so far? How has it changed since we last spoke? Are you still doing the burpees? Are you still off the grid? And what's happening with your garbage? Let's see, in order of the that you asked, yes, I am still doing the burpees, although I would say burpee based calisthenics. I Something like 12 years ago, I read this article that said that they asked a bunch of fitness experts, if, the, if you could pick one exercise to be the single best exercise, what would it be? And first they said the this butterfly swim stroke, but then they said, but you know, swimming pool, it's kind of hard to do. And then they said the burpee. And then they said, yeah, but who would do just burpees? And they, they settled on walking and I'd never heard of burpees before. So I looked them up and mentioned it to a friend and the friend and I decided to uh, do 10 burpees a day for a month, just no, nothing past that. And at the time I was going to the gym and I don't like going out, like going out in the rain or paying for stuff that I don't want to, that I can not have to pay for. And doing the burpees, I was like, this is a really good exercise. They were right, you know, and I just kept going at it. And I, I just thought, why would I stop? And I also find life, there's a pattern that when something works is the best way of doing things. Why not do it the best way? Like totally unrelated one time I was uh, taking sailing lessons. I was getting on the boat. And I stepped over the lifelines from the dock over the lifelines onto the boat. And the skipper says, well, don't do it that way. First step on the boat on the outside of the lifeline. So both feet are on the, out, on the boat, then step over the lifeline. So if the boat moves away from the dock, you're not like straddling. I first thought, thanks, I know how to walk, but I appreciate the advice. But I didn't say that, you know? And then I thought, wait a minute, if there's a better way and a worse way, do it the better way. And that kind of hit with the burpees was there's a really effective way of exercising. It costs nothing. I didn't need, a, I don't need equipment. I don't need a spotter. And I just decided just stick with it. And so it's been a very, um, how do I put it? Stabilizing force in my life. Every morning I do them, every evening I do them. And they're really effective exercise. I think for my, I, I th another way of thinking about it, for a given level of fitness, I've done less work than anybody else if they're really the most efficient way of exercising. So people think of me doing a lot of these things, but I don't go to the gym. I don't, I save a lot of money. And anyway, what were the next two things you asked? Okay. How many burpees have you done so far? What is your count? Oh, are um, you counting? Yeah, I don't count so much as I do an exact number every day. And just in the spreadsheet, I can update it. It's above 200,000, but I, I hit a quarter million in a couple of years. So uh, a fifth of a million, 200. I don't think I've hit 210,000 yet. And this is your exercise regimen. This is how you stay fit. And he's fit At too. Okay. Uh, but there's, I mean, it began as 10 burpees a day, but now it's more like 50 a day. And then there's a whole bunch of other stuff with the kettlebells. I, I don't do it just body weight anymore, although I do it from okay. traveling. Okay. Uh, so it's a 20 minute morning, 20 minute evening thing, plus lifting day, plus 
I have other exercises too, but that's partly, I feel like it's, you know, my ancestors, most of my ancestral history, you couldn't just get food from the fridge. You had to climb a tree or dig roots out or hunt something down. And I feel like this is a, a basic level of motion in life that feels about right. Okay. And what about being off the grid? Are you still off the grid? And explain that to our listeners. Yes. The uh, How do I, where to begin? I've been on a long journey of trying to live by my environmental values more. And so the first big thing that I did was to challenge myself to avoid um, packaged food for one week. Wondered if I could do it because that plastic was not going to break down. You know, the, the packaging was, that's something I could take personal responsibility for. Even if I couldn't change anything else, it's, I'm still responsible for the stuff that I produced. And that led me to avoid lots of other things. And I, I'm wor working on my book and I was looking at the timeline for these things. So in 2021, uh, two years ago, just to see what would happen, I went to the circuit breaker, which is in my kitchen for the entire apartment. And just to see if, if I could do it, I'd turn off my connection. I disconnected my apartment from the electric grid for 24 hours, just to see if I could do it. So I was dating a girl at the time and we, uh, we rode our bikes down to Brooklyn and spent the day outside and it was no big deal at all. It wasn't a challenge. So then I thought, I wonder if I could go longer. And there's some middle steps. I went on Craigslist and bought used solar panels and used, uh, uh, these were portable because my building, doesn't allow, I, I couldn't just go to my building and say, hey, can I install a permanent installation up there? They would never agree to that. And I wasn't going to wait for them. Personal responsibility for me means acting like Teddy Roosevelt said. I love this quote. Uh, Do what you can with what you got where you are. And so I got these solar panels. I took them up to the roof and charged them. And I wondered if I could go for one month with my apartment disconnected from the electric grid. I knew I could do 24 hours because I'd done that before. I didn't have any idea of how I'd make it past two or three days. And no one is more surprised than I am that I'm about to start month 11 with my apartment disconnected from the electric grid. I just kept, it's kind of like, I don't know if you guys have ever run a marathon, but when, when I run long distances, well, it's been a long time, so I shouldn't use the present tense. When I used to run long distances, you know, I'd say like one more mile, just one more mile, just a couple more blocks, just to that tree, just to that fire hydrant. If I can just go a little bit longer. And once I make it to the thing, I'd say, well, just a little bit longer from there, just a little bit longer from there. And next thing you know, I've finished a marathon. And in this case, I just, at the beginning, I'd figure out how to make it another day, another week, eventually another month. And I just kept learning all these tricks. And I mean, not all tricks. A lot of it was like how our how everybody lived up until about a hundred years ago. I mean, no one had an electric grid up until then. And people were generally often healthier and ate more fresh than we do today. So I just kept learning traditional ways of doing things and non-polluting ways of doing things. And then I just keep going. And then the New Yorker did a story on me. They, re they interviewed me in October. And I thought, all right, the days are getting really short. I can't get as much power. It's also really cold when I carry the, so I'm on the fifth floor of my building. I have to go up 11 flights to get to the roof and I'm 51 years old. So I'm it's kind of tiring. So I kept thinking, all right, as soon as that article comes out, I'm going to 
stop doing this and rest a bit for the winter when I can't get as much power and it's really cold up there. And one day I was up there and I realized it was the solstice, which is to say the shortest day of the year, which meant that the next day would be easier. And I realized, oh my God, I didn't realize that I've made it through the hardest period, which means I can keep going. So now it's well past the solstice. We're about to hit the equinox. And like, even though I have a PhD in astrophysics, it was never actually part of my life of like, think about what the solstice meant and what the equinox meant and so forth. But now it's much more meaningful. And I, I like track the sun, the arc through the sky, because the angles make a difference of how I set up the solar panels to get more power. And yeah, so I'm starting month 11. I'll make it barring injury or catastrophic equipment failure. I'll make it a year and then I'll probably keep going. I've, I'm in total uncharted territory here. I had no idea this wasn't, I, I didn't think I'd make it past a couple of days, but I'm learning <laughs> more and more things every, I mean, it's still almost every day I'm learning new things. So it's, it's been this incredible voyage of discovery of self-reliance and I, I could go on. So I, I know one of the questions that our listeners are probably wondering is that, you know, being off the grid, uh, and like you said, you have a solar panel, but you're living in an apartment in Manhattan, New York City. How are you able to keep your – well, do you have perishable items? And what are you doing as far as keeping the, the lights on or – charging things i mean is the solar panel giving you enough energy to to do these things but let's start with the perishable items first and then move to the you know when it gets dark it's dark you can't see no man can work so how are you uh, achieving that is are you using candlelights yeah these are all the things that i didn't know what to think before i started and now I didn't plan to do this for anyone else. It's just a personal experiment. And there were certain constraints that I stuck with and certain that I didn't. So I want to be clear that I disconnected my apartment from the electric grid. I wash my clothes in the building's washing machine in the basement. I don't use the dryer. I just line dry. I work at NYU and I wasn't changing my work habits. So if I bring my computer and phone to NYU, I can still plug in there, but I've restricted no other place. So I don't, like I, I went to Philadelphia to visit my dad and I just charged the computer before going and then didn't plug in there because that wasn't part of my rule. So I've only plugged in at NYU or at home. So in terms of power, yeah, I, I get what power I get. My solar panel is, all right, these numbers didn't mean anything to me at the beginning, only by practice did they mean much to me, but I have 200 watt solar panels and the battery is 576 watt hours. What that means to me is that the biggest use of my power is when I cook in my pressure cooker, that will, if I fill up the pressure cooker and do one load of stew and Rob, you know, my stews, it, it's, that uses up more power or more energy than the battery will hold. So if I get the battery to hundred percent, which takes four hours on a bright sunny day, then that'll get me roughly two thirds or three quarters of a pressure cooker full of of stew, which will give me about five meals worth of food. But then I don't have any power for my computer. So I have to balance the mix of like today is a sunny day. After we finish, I'll take the batteries up. I'll take the panels and battery up and, and charge them. And 
I think the forecast is for several sunny days in a row. So I'll have a lot of power. I'll probably cook a lot of extra things. Um, but then every now and then there'll be like the first big challenge was the first time I had three rainy days in a row. And then I realized I couldn't, I had to eat, I had to eat only salad and other uncooked food. And I had to work more at NYU, but that's part of the deal is figuring things out. And I actually felt there are some, in some sense, I'm constrained, but in some sense, constraints breed creativity. And I found that I, you know, I, I read more books and I would go outside more because it was dark inside. So I started volunteering a lot in my community more because that would get me out of the apartment and I wasn't drawing power to do stuff like that. And uh, in terms of perishables, I've, I had unplugged my fridge as an experiment before to see how long I could make it with a fridge unplugged after having read an article about how much of the world relies on fermentation and a different food supply chain. And I realized oddly that one, you know, if I have a casserole and it's going to go bad and I want to keep it, a fridge will keep it fresher longer. So one meal, it'll keep fresher, but systemically refrigeration leads us to have longer supply chains and we get fresh, less fresh food in the first place. So in this odd discovery, unplugging my fridge led, to eat, led me to eat more fresh because if I get an apple or a banana or um, an eggplant, they stay fine on my counter for a week. I mean, an apple, a couple weeks, a potato, months, sweet potatoes, months, uh, dried legumes before I soak them and, and, um, and cook them, they're fine for years and they're dirt cheap. So I end up getting a lot more, but a frozen pizza won't keep fresh at all. So all the processed stuff, I just can't get that. I mean, I wasn't, I was avoiding it already, but that wouldn't work anyway, but fresh works fine. Lettuce, if I put it in water actually grows. So the longer I wait, the more lettuce I get, it gets cheaper, the longer I, I keep it there. And there's other things like that too, that stay fresh really well. I mean, like carrots and root vegetables and beets and things like that, they're fine. A little while ago, one of the things where I volunteer is I help bring stuff that stores were going to, food that throw, stores were going to throw away. I bring them to a community center nearby where people can get them for free. And that community center was throwing away something like 50 pounds of cabbage. And I was like, you're throwing that away? And they're like, yeah, the people don't want it. So I took it. So I had like 50 pounds of cabbage. I got maybe 30 pounds of it. Now, I can't put it in the fridge because the fridge is unplugged. Well, I, I mean, the fridge is unplugged, so it's not going to keep it cold. So I chopped a bunch up, put a little salt on it, I'm fermenting a whole bunch of it, a bunch more of it I'm eating. And it's crazy. Like, there's, the amount of food being thrown away is huge. And I'm the guy without a fridge, and I'm actually using it. I, it's, but go back in time to before refrigeration, and that's what everyone did because we didn't have refrigeration. So people had to figure out how to make stuff work and we didn't throw stuff away as much as we do today. Did I answer all the questions? I, I feel like I might've left someone on. 
I'd say you answered all these ones, but when we come back from break, we're going to have a lot more. But if you're looking for better sleep, focus, and energy, check out Healthy Cell, the leading innovator of nutritional supplements for cell health. Rob and I did, and we're so happy we tried Healthy Cell. Healthy Cell vitamins work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. Absorb a healthy lifestyle with Healthy Cell's pill-free vitamins. Go to HealthyCell.com, check out the great products, Read the reviews, and you can save 25% off with the code OUTLOUD. We'll be back with more After Dark with Robin Andrew and special guest, Josh Spottick. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. And I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I have to tell you that I think one of the biggest advances in nutraceuticals and supplements is healthy cell. And the healthy cell line is extensive. I typically focus on the microgel technology. Three major products here, Immune Super Boost, the Focus and Recall, and then the REM Sleep Supplement. Each one of these is complementary, and they can uh, have a role, I think, in the health of your life each and every day. I know they do in my case. Many of you know after COVID-19 twice, I spent almost the entire year in 2022 with the upper respiratory tract illness. Now, thankfully, I'm through the first two months of 2023, and I've been diligent with the Immune Super Boost in the morning, followed by Focus and Energy, and then in the evening time, the REM Sleep Supplement. The microgel technology works, and boy, does it work fast. So go to our website, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Find the banner bar for Healthy Cell, click on it, and that'll take you to the site to get a discount on your purchase of all Healthy Cell products. So let's get real, let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. So we are back with After Dark with Robin Andrew and our special guest, Josh Spottick. And Josh was just telling us about living off the grid and some of the things that he's doing. Uh, I, for one, don't think I could do it. But as he said, back in the day, early America, this is what we did. But to try and implement that now, like he said, he's a single man. He works at a university, so he was able to make adjustments that would fit his lifestyle. And we know that in today's society, we hear a lot of people that are trying to push, well, one political party, rather, that's trying to push us toward green new energy and electric cars and wanting to get rid of, uh, uh, what is it, refrigerators and gas stoves. No, that's a big one right now, gas stoves. And San Francisco, I think that they're saying that as a this summer, you can no longer, or they're trying to get away from buying, purchasing gas stoves. And by 2035, there will be no more gas stoves. Now, of course, this could change depending on who's in office, but that's what they're trying to push toward. It sounds good, 
Uh, and I know a lot of young people like it, like, oh, we're going to save the world. Meanwhile, China and India, they're just polluting the heck out of the world. But we won't talk about them. We'll stay here in the United States. So while all this is taking place, we're going to get rid of this. We're going to get rid of that. Has anyone thought about what will we do when we don't have it? What are we going to do as a substitute? Josh just said what he was able to do. But will other people be able to do the same thing, especially large families? Well, they'd be able to say, okay, well, we're going to go here, we'll go to work, and we'll do our, our charging of our uh, electrical appliances there, then we'll go back home. Then when it gets night, what do we do? Oh, we'll use candles. Now, again, before we had electricity, people did that. They would you use coal oil and whatnot to light up their houses, but can that take place now? Have you thought about that? Can you do that? And as Josh said, this was just an experiment for himself that he wanted to do. Now, something else that he had mentioned when he came on our show not too long or a couple of years ago, I think we were like planning, trying to play catch up now to see if he's able to if, or if he's done a lot of this stuff, the garbage, not taking out garbage. Josh, where are you with that? Oh, I'm on the same load as I was then. Uh, the load that the last time I emptied my garbage was Christmas 2019, before the pandemic, and the the I'm looking over at this this canvas bag. You know, it's a tote bag that I got from some um, I don't know some event I went to. And back then I would accept these things. Now I wouldn't accept it because I don't need it. But it's this canvas tote bag, and I that's what I was using to collect my garbage in. I all my food scraps go to compost, so there's nothing wet in there, and it's just. I, I haven't filled it up yet. I, I'll probably try to go for about five years. Um, and yeah, I, by avoiding packaged food and not buying stuff off, on, I don't buy stuff from Amazon or online. So I don't, I have minimal packaging that way. So yeah, and, and increasingly, when I think of if I'm going to get something with packaging on it, I feel like I'm, that packaging doesn't disappear. You know, it mainly ends up in, I mean, ultimately it ends up in our bloodstreams. It crosses the placenta, I believe, and messes with our uh, endocrine systems. I think it has something to do with, I think sperm counts are down by half around the world, something like that. That's not happening from vegetables. That's happening from plastic and, and other endocrine disruptive stuff. So I don't want to participate in that. And uh, if other people do, that's their business, but I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to minimize that. So you haven't dumped garbage, if I'm hearing you correctly, since 2019? Right. So wow. I'm looking over at it. It's like, uh, what's there? There's like all the little stickers from um, uh, fruits and vegetables when I deliver the stuff that was going to be thrown away. When I get stuff from farmer's markets, it doesn't have those stickers. When I, um, oh, there's a thing on there from, I gave blood not too long ago, and they wrapped this thing around my arm to hold the, the gauze in place. So that's in there. Um, I don't know. It's little random things. Someone gave me of oh. uh, some, um, what was it? It was like flax powder and it had a little plastic spoon in it. I was like, ah, I didn't realize there'd be a plastic spoon in here. So now I got to put the plastic spoon in my garbage. I, did, I didn't realize I accepted it when I, when she gave it to me. Okay. All so we're going to like get to the leadership, your the new leadership uh, program, but I'm really fascinated with this and interested and some of the things that you're doing. So in short, what is it like being in the life of Josh? 
Yeah, no one's more surprised than I am. I mean, I really had no idea. <laughs> this was not, there, it wasn't really the goal, but the voyage of discovery is, I mean, I love learning. I love discovering new things. You know, I do not, I cannot stand, um, how do I put it? Telling people what to do. And in sustainability, there's a lot of what I would call at best sustainability management, which is like spreading facts, numbers, and telling people what to do, and not a lot of leadership. Leadership to me, some of the tools of leadership are, are things like images and stories and role models and beliefs. And leadership is a lot about character, integrity, vision. And I don't think of a lot of people in the sustainability areas, people I think of as having a lot of character or integrity. I mean, frankly, in this country, I feel like there should be a lot more character and integrity all around, not just in, in one particular area. But I don't believe that you can lead others to live by values that you live the opposite of. So would you consider social media influencers as being leaders? They have the potential to be, but I, that's not where like my go-to place. Um, I don't really know because I don't follow any. So I don't know. I mean, social media, I associate with addiction and, um, you know, getting people to crave more likes and things like that, which doesn't, if, I don't know if I call that leadership. So, so I can't, the, I, I, I plead ignorance here. Okay. What are the qualities of a good leader, would you say? Well, people can lead in a lot of different areas. So uh, I think of um, Oprah, my classic examples, like Oprah Winfrey, I think is, is a very effective leader. And General Patton, I think, was a very effective leader. I don't know how well Oprah could lead a tank battalion into battle, and I don't know how well Patton could run a talk show. So it's different in different areas. But a lot of it is working with intrinsic motivations. That is, it's the other people that, it's not what I want from you. It's, I have to know what you want. I have to work with intrinsic motivation. Management is more about carrots and sticks and setting up incentives and measurable things. That's very important. To get the job done, you need things like that. Leadership is more about vision. And if I want to know what, if I want to lead you, if I want to inspire you, I have to know what your intrinsic motivations are to connect those motivations to the task. And that can inspire someone. So that requires a lot of listening and behaving and communicating in ways to make the other person feel comfortable sharing what motivates them. Because most people, they keep what motivates them, they protect it because it's a vulnerability. So, so so there isn't a, let's say, one size fit all for leadership. You might be able to lead in one area, but not necessarily that won't transfer over to something else. Is that safe to say, or is, in your opinion? Yeah, I think there's some things that will sh that'll be helpful across the board, like self-awareness, awareness of how the emotional system works. But some things are, are going to work. I mean, some person might be a, a great parent and a terrible manager or leader at work or vice versa, or someone might be great on the basketball court and terrible in the boardroom. Some may be great all over the place. Oh, and I think to learn to lead, I, I don't know if there are people who are just born leaders, because I mean, as little children, I don't think many people lead very well, but I think it's something you have to learn. And so through deliberate practice, you can improve. I think a lot of people, just life happened to give them the a series of challenges that they overcame in, the, in, in an order that led them to become great leaders. 
maybe their parents were themselves leaders and instilled that in them. In my case, I didn't even try, I didn't know what leadership was up until business school and my first classes in leadership. And even then the classes were more about leadership than how to lead. It was more of reading and writing papers that I kind of opened the door to leadership, but didn't show me how to walk through. But I think deliberate practice is almost essential, just like to be a great musician or singer or athlete, to be a great leader, I think you have to practice and practice and practice. Okay, and that was, you know, you, that, you're that was, right, that was my next question. Can those skills be honed? Can you somehow develop the skills to be an effective leader? Oh, yeah. Not only that, I think it's the only way, unless you got really lucky and life just handed you the right set of, of challenges in the right order. But I think that... Um, I mean, it's easy to look at, I don't know, LeBron and just say, oh, he's just that way. No, 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 he works more than anyone. And same with leadership. You just might think some, someone goes up, and goes up and gives some great talk and you think, oh man, that person's a natural. Probably they practiced and rehearsed and practiced and rehearsed a million ways before getting to that position. And then, you know, maybe they make it look easy. But, and also I think the challenges are, that you face are emotional and social. So they can really be cutting. It can be, when you fail at, say, um, I don't know, to play sport, maybe you miss, I don't know, actually, can, if you've ever missed the, the shot to, that would have won the game, but instead you didn't, and, and you feel like you let the team down, that can feel like a huge failure. Likewise with leadership, if you try to connect with someone and it doesn't work, and now there's a, it can feel really brutal. It's not just like um, you weren't physically strong enough it can feel really difficult. And I think that's one of the reasons why people sense the failures that come with leadership from which we learn can be really brutal. And I think a lot of people don't want to face them. Mm. Now, let's move on to your program, the leadership program. Uh, what is it about? And yeah, so on my podcast, I bring on leaders from lots of different areas. And I through practice and rehearsal, I've developed what's now called the Spodic method, which is a, a leadership method applied to sustainability, applied to the environment. And so roughly, very roughly speaking, if you want me to go into details, I can, I ask someone what the environment means to them and evoke from them. It's usually a quintessential experience in the environment, which could be for many people, it's something related to the beach or something in the mountains or something sometimes as a kid, sometimes as an adult. And then I explore the meaning of that. What, what are the emotions connected with this? And this is over the course of sometimes 10, 15, 20 minutes of just this one, exploring this one question. But once their intrinsic motivations are out there, then I invite them, and it's at their option to think of something they can do to act on this. And when they do it for their intrinsic reasons, not because I said, oh, Bangladesh is going to be underwater. You're a bad person if you don't do it. On the contrary, it's because they had this great experience before it's to manifest that again. And after they've done it, they usually tend to say that they, they like the experience, sometimes acting on sustainability for the first time in their life. I've also been doing this when I teach leadership at NYU. There's a civic component that's a mandatory part that each teacher can put his or her own spin on it. So I put sustainability in there. And that's great for a course with students. What I'm doing now is creating masterminds with the first one starting in about a week where it's enthusiastic professionals 
and I'm going to teach them the Spodic method so that they can practice with each other, then practice with people in their lives. And then we're going to be doing this for the first time. But if you've been in a mastermind, what usually happens is that there's, say it's eight people, eight people individually learning separately. Plus there's this separate entity that forms of the group doing something together. And that I haven't been able to do before. And I'm really enthusiastic to get a group of people for their intrinsic reasons in each of them knowing each other's as well as their own to come up with something to do that will be greater than the sum of the parts. And I can't say now what it will be because I, at that, by that point, I will be one member of it. I'll be the organizing member, but I'll just be one member of that group. It's very exciting. It's coming together and we, you know, assuming that the first one isn't a total colossal failure, it will lead to mo that group will then become the advanced group we'll fill in more people to do another cohort to be the next beginner group and hopefully it'll keep growing. People tend to like the experience. And what is the end game? I don't know if you mentioned that or not. The end game is, is there, or is there an end game or we'll just constantly just keep growing and growing to create new leaders. And this is centered around the environment. Is that correct? Yeah. About people acting on their intrinsic motivations, motivations that were there before I ever met them, to bring about an environment that they prefer. So, at the individual level, the end game is for people to be able to implement in their lives, to manifest in their lives, the environmental values that that have always been there. And most people feel like they'd prefer the air to be a bit cleaner. They prefer the water to be a little bit cleaner, and the food to be a bit fresher. And but how it manifests in each person is going to be different. So hopefully each group, their end game will be to achieve a better life by their standards in one particular area. As for what we hope is that the groups will grow in numbers of groups, numbers of people within each group and the renown and stature of people within the group. So hopefully we'll be getting not just anyone, but people who are elected officials, people who are CEOs and always acting for their intrinsic reasons. It's leadership to me is not about telling people what to do. It's about helping them do what they wanted to do, but haven't figured out how. And how do you go about picking different people to be on your podcast as, as leaders? Is it like a referral or something that you've seen and you said, hey, this would be a good person to have on the podcast? Yeah, it's both, it's usually, it's increasingly referrals because people on the podcast tend to like being on the podcast. I'm very pleased to say, I think my most recent guest posted is Paulina Portskova, who was a supermodel and she was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when I was growing up. And she was referred to by some mutual friends and they thought she'd be great on the podcast. And I think it went really well. And so I'm getting increasingly celebrities and uh, higher level elected officials. Although I also do a lot of selfish, like if there's a book that I've read that I think is relevant, or I'd like to meet the author. I contact people like that. So the curation is designed for influencing people uh, by bringing in people who are role models for their particular communities and walking through a process that they generally like. Okay. Well, that has been rather informative, and we will pick this up on the other side of the break. Yes, you are tuned into After Dark with Rob and Andrew on America Out Loud, which is available Monday through Friday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, or 7 p.m. on the West Coast on America Out Loud's iHeartRadio channel. We'll be back with more After Dark with Rob and Andrew and special guest 
Joshua Spotic. We are fighting the ultimate fight between good and evil. AmericaOutloud.com replaces groupthink with innovative thing. Well, it was Walt Whitman, the poet, who said, keep your face always toward the sunshine and shadows will fall behind you. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. Okay, we're at the last half of the show, and we're still talking about Josh and his leadership program. One of the things that I want to ask, because I know that a lot of people are probably wondering, and we had broached this matter earlier on about the qualities of a leader, who can be a leader. And I threw out the idea of social media influencers being leaders. And some people will say that leaders are born. Some will say that leaders can't be made. You have to have that innate quality inside of you. But Josh, off the top of your head, what are some of the qualities that you think would make good leaders? The first thing that's come to mind are always going to be integrity and character. Managers don't necessarily need these things because they can use their authority and their ability to take away your, your paycheck or something like that. But a leader, if you don't have integrity, if people are questioning why you're doing these things, you're not relying on authority. You're not relying on punishing people if they don't do stuff. You can't also manage. So integrity, are you living by the values that you expect others to? Do you enjoy what you're doing? So these are the first two things that come to mind. Listening is another big thing is because you have to start where the other person is. You can't just tell them what to do. You can't impose on them. If you do that as a, as a manager, so listening, and it has to be very active. I would also say patience is another big thing because people don't need leadership to do things that wherever knows what to do. We generally want leaders around when we don't know what to do. So that means we're generally going into uncharted territory. We're generally working with teams that aren't, they're doing something that they haven't done before. So patience is another big one. Experience is another really big one too. And relevant, direct, direct relevant experience in leading others. I mean, these are some of the big things. I, integrity, character, listening, patience, experience. There's a whole lot more, but these are some of the big ones. And if one were to take your leadership class, your program that you're getting ready to uh, start, will they be able to develop the items that you just mentioned? 
Oh yeah, I mean, we are curating it so that we're not just bringing in anyone at all. So the people we're bringing in are gonna be people who have experience. It's, you know, when I teach with undergrads, they tend to feel like they're great leaders already, but there's all sorts of things that they just haven't experienced in life. If you've never had to fire someone or you've never been fired, not that these are things that we like, but that is a huge thing that if you haven't done something like that, you know, your leadership is, is still untested. So we're bringing in people who have, who have a lot of these things. We're not going to bring someone in who doesn't have integrity or character. We're not going to bring someone in. Well, there may be people who don't really listen very well. In sustainability, there's a lot of talking at people and not really right. listening to where they're coming from. So that's something that I believe will we'll instill in them. Right. So is there, is there a vetting process that you will go through before you allow people to uh, participate in the program? Oh yeah, it's huge. It's I mean, there's all these conversations that we have to have and, and we have to make clear what the program is, what it isn't. Then we have to talk to them about what works and what doesn't work. And then on top of that, there's all the scheduling issues of making sure that everyone can make it every, we, you know, we don't want people coming and going. You have to attend every single one. And, so the vetting and, process is really big. Or and, it seems process. If, right, and it seems as if though it's like an ongoing, this will be like an ongoing thing. It's just that you don't go in within when five weeks or six weeks, you're done. It's a continuation. Is that correct? Well, the, we're, there will be one eight-week set. Okay. There's eight weeks at the beginning. And then if people want to continue, we'll do another session after that for that group. Then we'll bring in another cohort to do the next eight-week one. Okay. So we want to get a whole uh, panoply of, of these things. Got it. Okay. And then as far as the class itself that's being taught at NYU, uh, I think I read somewhere that it's been well-received by uh, the participants and students on campus. And what what are they hoping to gain out of it by taking the uh, the course? Right, I want to make sure that we're distinguishing the mastermind, which I'm doing independently of NYU, with right. my leadership courses at NYU. Right. So, now, so now I'm done with the mastermind. Now the NYU course. You're also offering, I think, a leadership course there. Is that correct? Yeah. This semester, I'm teaching senior seminar in leadership. And okay. it's so it's seniors and this particular one is a requirement for the major. So I think every student in it has to take this particular class. Okay. And actually we're we've it's spring break now, but we're also in the period where at the beginning some of the exercises are not quite sure what they're about because they're these exercises are are developing social and emotional skills. So they're they've never done anything like it before. It's not I mean, I do give them some theory to read and some papers to write, but the real learning happens when they do these exercises where they're practicing how to make a meaningful connection with someone, which is a very specific exercise, or how to make people feel understood. And they're coming back and now they're starting to come back and saying, oh, well, we see how this fits together. Leadership is not just um, something you do, like acting, the more that you learn, the more you find out about yourself, the more you find out about expressing yourself, how to pick up on what other people are expressing, what they want, what they don't want in order to enable your leadership more based on these things. So it's really, there's a lot of empathy that's being learned, which I don't think most people think of as a skill. And they also, there's also this big realization like, oh, I'm not that good at this. And it's going to take years for me to get good at it. But at least I see that there's a path forward. I, I guess if, if this were like teaching piano, I'm giving them scales and a few early pieces that they can learn fingering and, and you know, some of the very basics. 
and they can see somewhere down the road there's jazz there's classical there's pop there's lots of you know different directions that they could go but right now they're learning the basics of how to practice how to improve how to learn what music is about mm. then they can really start filling things in more okay now my final question as of now the podcast that we're doing tonight, where are you? Are you at home, your office? Are you on the grid or what's going on? How are you able to, what is your setting like right now? All right, so I'm sitting at my at my desk and in front of me is the microphone and that's connected to my computer. Then the computer is plugged into the pad, battery thing, which here you'll hear a little beep. So okay. it's 37%. So, and it's, and the computer and phone are drawing 14 watts. So according to this thing, I got nine more hours that I could stay on the computer and be connected. I'm connected to the internet through my phone's hotspot. That's my only internet connection in, at all, which I'm very pleased to say is $25 a month for all my phone and internet. So it's ended up saving me money, all these little ways of saving power as well. Well, this must be a very powerful uh, connection because I would have reservations that is this going to last throughout the entire interview or is it going to shut down so man andrew what do you think about that we i guess we need to find out what he's using <laughs> yeah i know it's this is exactly what i was thinking uh my phone bill through verizon certainly uh isn't that cheap and i don't think i get that good of internet so uh i might have to follow up with josh after the show on that but just to shift directions a little bit i talked about at the beginning of the show how josh has got his scientific background so I'm interested on in what his thoughts were these past few weeks when all these reports of these Chinese spy balloons and these balloons flying around. Um, were you surprised by these reports when they came out, Josh? I didn't follow them too closely because I don't think of them as astrophysics or astronomy. But I, I mean, I think people are, since I was a kid and long before, people were like, oh, maybe there's stuff out there, maybe not. As far as I can tell, there's no conclusive data in any direction. So I just kind of look at it to say, is there anything new here? Or is this something that's been going on for a long time in different ways? And it looks like it's something that's been going on for a long time in slightly different ways. Well, let me ask you this, Josh. So if, <clears throat> and I know this not be your field of expertise, but I guess to get your opinion, let's say there are UFOs, unidentified flying objects or whatnot. In order for an object or whatever it is to enter into our atmosphere the pressure and whatnot i mean it I, I can't even how could that possibly happen without it being destroyed and what would it be because we see on tv we see flying objects that's made of metal and everything else but would a being from another planet have that metal to get through our atmosphere without being crushed is that is that even possible when they're saying that something entered? Yeah, we know that there are stars that are bursting that are coming down and whatnot. But for a, fly, a, a flying object to enter through our ozone level uh, and not be crushed, is, is that even possible? We have some ideas of how we might travel from one star to another. I mean, there's, there's, as far as I know, zero sign of life on any other planets going around this sun. So if it came from another sun, we don't know how to travel like that. So we can only speculate on what technologies others would have to come here. Yeah. So speculating beyond what, I mean, we talk about going to Mars 
But we can't even live, say, on the peak of Everest, which would be amazingly easier than living on Mars, or for that matter, living under the ocean or living in Antarctica. These things would be trivial compared to living on Mars, and we don't know how to do that. So we talk about setting up colonies on Mars, but that's that's a lot of talk, and I'm sure it gets a lot of investment into their their um, their ventures. But I don't know of any practical technology technological successes. I mean, we've gotten there. We've put robots there on Mars, but humans living there, I don't, it's, we can't, I mean, can we get a, a human to live on the top of Everest for a month or? That's a in, good point, right? Because we've never, I mean, we were looking at going out of space, but can we get, I mean, here on planet Earth to live on Mount Everest or even live, I know that there are people talking about building cities up under uh, the water in the ocean, but, and, and we're already looking at going outside, but the word that you use, technology, I'm going to go back to that because, again, we know that when we're sending things out to the moon or we say we landed on the moon or out of space, we're using aluminum. I, I guess that's what the spaceships are made of, and, and that's what we have here on Earth. But just imagine outside of the Earth, what are they using in order to enter through our solar system, our ozone layer, without being crushed? And no one has ever mentioned that. We know the materials that we have here, but I mean, what materials would they have that would allow them to enter through our solar system? Do you follow well, what I'm saying? Well, I mean, all what... the signs show that they have the same periodic table as we do, because we can tell pretty well if we get, when, when we see light signals from other stars and other galaxies, everything always seems to have the same signatures of the same electrons and transitions that have the same emission lines in, in, in a spectrum. So there's no sign that there's anything different than the same periodic table. Mm. Each, whatever, if they, if there is intelligent life out there and it's on a different planet, the likelihood of it being exactly like earth is very small. There's probably plenty out there that are a lot like earth. We know that there are a lot out there that are a lot like earth in terms of having water and an atmosphere. But there may be some that have no water and it's all sulfuric acid or something else. And it's possible that there might be some chemistries that work in ways that we couldn't have imagined. But they're going to be the same atoms and molecules that we have here. Okay, because I never yeah. thought of that. That was always my question. What yeah, would they be using? Very good points. Josh, as someone who has uh, interest in space, but such a passion in uh, the environment, what are your thoughts on like billionaires like Jeff Bezos and those who take these trips up to space that don't seem very um, productive as far for, uh, as from a scientific standpoint? What do you think of that? Oh, man, there's a, there's a whole theoretical foundation, not theoretical foundation. I, I'm not a big government person. I don't really like governments imposing on others, but I do believe that there's a, a critical role of government to protect life, liberty, and property that I, and, and the pursuit of happiness as well, that I think the framers were really big on, and I, I, I support that. And pollution to me fundamentally destroys life, liberty, and property. And it's very odd to me. I don't know if you can have a constitution that both protects your life, your liberty, and your property, and my right to destroy those things. So for those who believe in, in a government having a role of protecting life, liberty, and property, I, I th 
what I see these billionaires doing when they're flying around like that is they're polluting like crazy. I mean, the amount of pollution in a launch is through the roof. I mean, every second that you're up in space, you're, you're burning through, it's a lot. And I think our government has not really, the framers in 1787 did not, could not have foreseen pollution on the scale that we have today. So it's not like it was a fault of theirs, but I think that our government is missing it's a it's 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 a house divided again that it couldn't have foreseen that it both protects life liberty and property and protects the right of others to destroy life liberty and property through pollution so even if you're a very minimal government i think that we we have to face this issue that we're both allowing people to destroy life liberty and property and claiming that life liberty and property is one of the main roles of government I mean, I don't know if that was too theoretical, but to me, that's one of the main rules of government. And I think that it's not, we're not, through all sorts of great historical reasons, I mean, no one could have foreseen this coming. We're not acting on what I think even the most minimal government person would say is, is very important. How does that sound? Yeah, it definitely makes a lot of sense. I mean, you've got so many things that we're trying to do to uh, protect the environment. And then you've got these billionaires who are just uh, spending all their money launching into space. And as you said, that's very damaging. So, uh, yeah, I think pretty much everyone would agree with you on that. We're all out of time tonight. Thank you so much for joining us, Josh. If people want to learn more about your leadership than what they learned on the show tonight, um, where could they go to find out about that initiative? It's all at joshuaspodak.com. In the upper right corner is you can contact and connect to me through there. And I'd be glad to hear from people. Excellent. Thank you, Josh. Thank you all for joining us on After Dark with Robin Andrew, which is available as always on America Out Loud. We'll see you guys next time. And remember, stand for something or fall for nothing.